Hello everyone, welcome to Green.io, the podcast for doers making our digital world greener, one bite at a time. I'm your host, Gail Duez, and I invite you to meet a wide range of guests working in the tech industry to help you better understand and make sense of its sustainability issues and find inspiration to positively impact our digital world. If you like the podcast, please rate it on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite platform to spread the word to more responsible technologists like you. And now, enjoy the show. It's great to have individuals with certain awareness, but the systemic change uh, rarely ever happens due to cumulative changes in individual actions. Hello, everyone, for this episode. I have the pleasure to welcome Ingrid Nielsen and Olivier Vergenst to talk about the Digital Cleanup Day, which will happen next week, March 18th. Ingrid is based in Tallinn, Estonia, and she has been working with Let's Do It Word, NGO for the last years, in different capacities as the head of global marketing and communication, running initiatives regarding digital waste and other projects. Let's Do It Word is the mother NGO of both Word Cleanup Day, 50 million participants worldwide and counting, as well as its digital offspring, which is a digital cleanup day, which we will talk a lot about today. Saying she's an avid learner would be an understatement. Her studies and training cover sociology, English composition, anthropology, and social entrepreneurship, just to name a few. And her experiences go from journalism to running a pizzeria, among other activities in Abu Dhabi. And since January last year, she has become an advocacy expert for renewable energy at the Estonian Fund for Nature, aligning even further her commitment to a sustainable world with a career. Olivier is based in Brussels, Belgium, and he is the director of the Belgium Institute for Sustainable IT since 2020. Together with the French and Swiss institutes, the SPARE had a lot of research on digital sustainability while grouping both academics and professionals. Fun fact, we both have worked in the payment industry for several years. I used to pay fat bills to Ingenico, where he was director of research and development. This was actually the last position he held before shifting to the sustainability area and founding Doing Good Consulting and then Green IT Belgium. Welcome in Green and Olivier. Thanks a lot for joining Green IO today. Good morning. Thank you very much for having us. It's a pleasure. So I'd like to start with my usual two questions. The first one being, what did I miss in your bio? And the second one being, how did you become interested in the sustainability of our digital sector in the first place? I don't list things in my bio that I actually do, but it's as varied as, as my official bio is. So one of the things that I've gotten into in the last couple of years is beekeeping. Uh, though I live in the city, I am an avid urban beekeeper uh, since 2021. Definitely brought on a little bit by the COVID uh, pandemics that we had. And besides uh, rolling for uh, every possible course every September coming, I also love to dance tango and I'm an avid hiker as well. So tango dancer and avid hiker. Well, that's, that's quite mm -hmm. a mix. <laughs> and what did you bring to the sustainability area? Um, well, I first started uh, looking into sustainability completely from a different angle, or at least uh, that's what I thought. I um, started working with Let's Do It World already back in 2018 um, in uh, different volunteering positions initially, and then slowly getting more and more involved and, and really moving to the world of waste, let's say. Um, and, uh, well, actually, pandemics was, was the turning point for us as well, because uh, during uh, those difficult times when everyone was locked up, we couldn't continue our regular activities of, of organizing World Cleanup Day. And there was an actual... Um, fear that we had that that maybe this would be such a long-term uh, situation that we wouldn't be able to run World Cleanup Day that year. And uh, then we started looking into uh, different topics that we could uh, meddle in, so to say. And one of them was digital waste. It had been brought to our attention already earlier, but we never had 
had found uh, time to actually work on it. So one day in March, we decided it's time to tackle it. And we did a, the very first time that we ran Digital Cleanup Day. Um, it was um, really put together right there on the spot and, and we didn't have too much time to prepare for it. But we had uh, great people um, filling us in on, on the basics, on what are the issues with our digital world today and how does it connect to the uh, wider world of waste and then even wider uh, planetary uh issues that it, it brings. So I guess that's it was sort of like uh, brought on by the situation of that time. And, and, and what about you, Olivier? So what was not in my bio, there's quite a few experiences, but I would say the most important one is not a professional one. Uh, it's the fact that I, I became a father 17 years ago already. Um, and that's probably what brought me to thinking about sustainability more than anything else. Actually, I was, I've been working in IT forever. My, my father used to work at IBM, so I've been with a computer under my hands uh, since I was something like a five five years old so 50 four, 45 years ago i started playing with computers and uh for me there was never a question about uh, footprint or anything like that related to computers but still through my work i started looking at uh, what can i do on a daily basis you know traveling less uh, especially by plane uh, taking more the train instead of the car uh, uh, going to shop locally these kind of things and then at some stage uh, i started asking myself what more can i do than just my own footprint because i really thought about the world that we are living to our um, to our children and so Kind of by chance, I, I found out suddenly that there was a massive footprint in IT. I knew about data centers, but that was it. Um, and actually, I discovered that it was much, much larger than that. So I decided to let aside my, my career in uh, uh, very large companies, international companies, uh, and got to train myself in uh, green IT first, and then more broadly than that, sustainable IT, numérique responsable, as we call it in French, which is like uh, responsible IT, if you want. So it's also looking at everything about accessibility, inclusion, all the social aspects, not only the environmental aspects. And yeah, as I said, it was kind of by, by, by chance that I discovered all that uh, and that I decided to, to, to change completely my course uh, of career. Uh, and that's how we launched in Belgium, the first Green IT Belgium, and then now the Belgian Institute for Sustainable IT. You're not the first one I've met in this podcast uh, uh, telling this kind of story that you try to be super sustainable at home and being an IT professional, actually, this is not something that we've challenged that much, the IT footprint, and that suddenly you say, boom, <laughs> you realize like, boom, oh, but actually that's pretty significant. And um, what can I do about it? So it's interesting. Actually, it's very close to my own personal story on this one, uh, shifting when you realize that it, yeah, it's just too big and we cannot act uh, at work uh, in a very inconsistent way compared to how we want to work in our personal life. And actually, the thing is that through your job, you have a much b bigger lever than what you can do alone. Uh, you can really influence a lot of people. You can change companies. You can change organizations. In the organizations, you can help individuals to change. So that's really the difference between kind of being alone, uh, trying to reduce your own footprint, which everyone, of course, can do, and then using your job, which I think everyone can do as well. You can be in marketing and change the way that you're doing marketing. You can be doing communication, human resources, etc. In every type of job, actually, I believe that we have a role to play through our organization to have a bigger impact. Yeah, absolutely true. For instance, in France, ADEM just recently launched a, a guide for responsible communication, and it really aims to every, I would say, responsible marketers and responsible spin doctors uh, to change uh, the narrative around uh, how we, we run the economies and, and how we market our products, etc. So you're absolutely right. Everyone uh, can and should be involved. You have uh, hit the nail on its head, actually. This is one of the things that uh, environmental movements know already for pretty much a couple of decades at least is that 
that this attention to individual footprint is is quite insignificant if we want to bring about systemic change. And I think um, digital uh, cleanup or digital waste issue is something that goes completely unnoticed on the individual level because people hardly ever have the awareness of what does it mean that I have a phone in my hand that is connected 24-7 and that is connected even when I'm not connected. When people are sleeping, the phones sort of like continue to live their own lives. So as well as computers do. So we are in this world where we hardly ever uh, manage to connect this very abstract idea of internet to the real-time actions. And that's why it's really difficult to sort of bring about change by asking individuals to change. Rather, it's about organizations that you really have the leverage to change the way that you operate and therefore actually change the environment where those individuals also sort of operate and and, uh, do their everyday things. And by that, you are able to bring about change and significant change. Hmm. Don't you believe that some individual changes when they are when they reach i would say a certain magnitude for instance the way we purchase or equipments or the way we invest or money uh, will not some i would say milestones when it comes to uh, um, going toward a more sustainable world Mm-hmm. Social science has been looking into this uh, for decades and it does show that it's great to have um, individuals with certain awareness, but the systemic change uh, rarely ever happens due to cumulative changes in individual actions. What is required, of course, is that awareness, but the actions that follow the framework that surrounds the actions This is something that an individual action doesn't really uh, change that much. Therefore, there's there's a like this strong correlation between actually uh, when we look at people um, embarking on this um, sustainability road, so to say, they start um, using less um, single-use plastic, for instance, and and then they maybe switch off all the lights. But very quickly, they reach the tipping point where they realize that it actually doesn't make any difference in the world. And it's very disempowering feeling when you come to realize that, wow, the fact that I'm changing doesn't really change the world. So when people uh, reach this tipping point, um, they really feel that they only have two options to do. Um, A large part of people say, okay, my individual actions don't really change the world. I'm not seeing any any of this happening. Maybe I've even gotten into a lot of trouble with my family who doesn't understand me uh, throughout this uh, journey to sustainability and they just stop doing it and they go back to the way they were before. And then there's that other part of people who say, okay, individual action didn't work. I will continue doing it, but I need to move on to something else, something bigger, a movement, um, some sort of a local group where I can really see change happening when I do those sustainability-driven things. And I guess that's one of the things that actually got me into environmental organizations as well, personally. I felt that no matter how much organic food I consume, how small I try to keep my uh, my uh, environmental footprint, it's really not working. But this empowerment feeling is slow to come. And unfortunately, to many people, it never arrives because it's too difficult to figure out how to change the world. I was playing a bit the devil advocate here because I strongly believe infrastructure is key in, in everything, and as you rightfully said, uh, but but still, this how you raise awareness to reach a critical size of people being ready to support, even if they don't act, but at least support the change in the infrastructure, whether whether it's more bike in the city or more uh, vegetarian food uh, in some places, etc. I, I believe it's also critical, but you're absolutely right. At some point, I mean, we, I'm pretty sure that around this table, uh, all the three of us, we've faced it at some point that you start acting on your own, and at some point, you want to be you want to be part of something bigger to manage to leverage more. I mean, from obviously your NGO in Grid or the Institute for Digital uh, for Sustainable IT, sorry, uh, in Belgium. I think we are all me launching the podcast. It's uh, it's yeah. It, I believe it's really the same 
framework that, uh, or pattern, I would say, that uh, we went through, uh, all the three of us. Am I right, Olivier? Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's not forget also that sustainability for, for a big chunk of the society uh, at large is, is something uh, of a luxury. Uh, most people are, are struggling for uh, just for, for, for food, for energy, for heating the house, for etc. And so the question of uh, can we reduce our footprint is really put aside for, for many people on the planet. Um, we, are, we are quite lucky to be able to try and do something uh, together with uh, our associations, our um, the, the, the companies that are working with us, etc. So I, I take that as a as a pleasure, daily pleasure, to to work in in just more sustainability. It's not yet sustainability as such, but it's trying to go to, towards more sustainability. But yeah, it's a it's a long journey because of all the other problems that we face uh, in society and the planet at large. You're so right because been every week I listen to Outrage Optimism to make sure that uh, Christina Figueres will remind me that, you know, the planet has global north but also global south and the way we present the sustainability issues is very different when you still need to feed and to cover basic needs for a large part of your population. And still, you know, when I discuss in France, uh, which last time in I checked is still part of Global North with uh, activists. I love to share this um, this report uh, about um, the way French people consume, and it's uh, it has been made um, was released I think one or two years ago by the French Institute for uh, Political Studies, and it really highlighted a big fracture within the French society in the way people consume. And that was very enlightening when it comes to secondhand equipment. Because if you're surrounded by people who are, I would say, environmentally aware, if not like activists, secondhand is seen as a blessing, is seen as something you should achieve to reduce your, you know, your material footprint in the world, etc., etc. And we tend to push secondhand, buying secondhand, uh, repairing things as something that people should be very proud of, hmm? like a positive social uh, marker. And um, But the truth is that for a lot of uh, the French population, actually secondhand is something that they have to do. They have to shop on Le Bon Coin for many, many stuff because they cannot afford uh, to buy uh, new uh, stuff. And this is not a positive marker at all. It is actually a stigma. And um, buying, being able to buy the latest, shiniest smartphone, etc., is a way to prove that they are not people with uh, social disabilities, as uh, we, we say now. So that's very interesting. And thanks for reminding it, uh, Olivier, that it's not black and white in the entire world. And the way we see things and the way we embrace sustainability can differ widely, even among a single country. So thanks a lot for, for this. Maybe Ingrid, could you, I mean, you already started to explain uh, how the Digital Cleanup Day started and all this genesis, but could you broadly explain what are its goals and yeah, how you managed to create a different event, uh, I would say an offspring of the uh, World Cleanup Day? Mm -hmm. So World Cleanup Day actually runs um, on quite similar uh, pillars as the Digital Cleanup Day does. We we found that there's really not much difference in the and the main uh, goal of this event, of both of the events, is creating awareness, but not creating this broad awareness, but bringing people to the action so that they themselves realize, oh, I didn't know about this. Wow, it's such a huge problem. Hmm. What can I do about it? So that's pretty much the very core of the digital cleanup thing. We're not trying to solve the issue of digital waste, uh, of this growing footprint of all our internet systems, but we're rather trying to make people uh, realize that there is an issue. Uh, one of the very strong, um, uh, strong aspects of digital cleanup day is that it is mainly aimed, uh, or not mainly aimed, but it is still in, in a strong focus is, is on corporations, on larger companies, the ones who actually either own infrastructure, uh, internet infrastructure, or they rent it out to um, store their data or run their operations on. So so maybe, yeah, that's, that's the 
um, difference between those two cleanup days, so to say. But not to say that that one is more important than the other, absolutely not. Um, what we're trying to also create uh, with Let's Do It World is the understanding for uh, all the habitats of habitants of this planet is that uh, is that it's a lot of the waste that we have is actually invisible. It's either invisible because it's digital, but also our regular waste is invisible. And we're trying to sort of connect the planet and, and show these movements of, of our waste uh, around it. Because what we've really realized is that people have this uh, idea that when I throw things away, there's this magical place called away, <laughs> but it doesn't exist. And, and it, the same thing happens in our phones. We think that we delete things and they go away, but nothing disappears. So the core issue of all waste regarding whether it's real or digital is the fact that we create it. And we're trying to aim with both of these initiatives to arrive to that point where people say we create too many things. We create too much stuff and we need to stop doing this. It's a very long and arduous process, though. Um, World Cleanup Day is now five years old. Digital Cleanup Day is three years old. And whereas we see the increasing awareness, um, it's still an um, uh, uphill struggle. Uh, but one of the great things about Digital Cleanup Day, though, is, and I, and I think uh, this is something that you mentioned already, is, is that um, if something is trendy, it really catches on and it has a, a huge um, sort of like push to actually start the change. And even though for majority of... Uh, our citizens of, of this planet, um, this is not an option to think about such things. Uh, the trends are really the, the ones that need to move through our global north and, and change the way that the global north things. And that's what we see in our everyday work with uh, country leaders uh, from Africa, from Asia, etc. Because our network uh, consists of more than 150 countries. And that means that we really have this good complex picture of how things and problems are, are perceived all around the world. And Olivier, not embracing the entire planet, but maybe zooming in a little in Belgium, could you tell us how concretely it works in, in a country like Belgium? Yeah, maybe some story about uh, how it started in Belgium for, for, for our association. So the, the French Institute existed already since uh, 2019. They launched in 2020 uh, what was then called in France the Cyber World Cleanup Day. Uh, I think it was not directly related to the World Cleanup Day as such at that time. Um, and then uh, it's also in 2020 that we launched the, the Belgian Institute for Sustainable IT. So we started very small. There was already a big ecosystem about uh, green IT, generally speaking, in France uh, at the time. But in Belgium, it was really kind of siloed uh, type of uh, initiatives, but there was nothing trying to, to, to look over, over all the types of uh, problems and problematics that we can face with, uh, with IT negative impacts potentially. And so uh, in 2021, we were too young to launch uh, the first uh, the first cleanup day, uh, um, digital cleanup day in Belgium yet. There were some companies uh, taking some actions, but through the French one for us at the time. And then in 2022, we, we started uh, having an action through the, 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 our association to also push for this digital cleanup day. Um, it was still pretty small, I, I would say something like a 30, 30 plus uh, organizations, fairly big organizations, generally speaking, uh, taking action, uh, but it's still very small compared to what was done in France and around the world. And then this year it's, uh, it's growing further and we took more uh, initiatives through the Institute itself because we've got a bit more, a bit more uh, resources to, to work on that. And so we can use now the, the digital cleanup day as a better tool for awareness creation um, in Belgium around different types of organizations. So we, we are investing more time and effort in, in the, the digital cleanup day now uh, in Belgium than, than before. So it's it's growing. It's growing slow, slowly but surely. Uh, and I'm really happy to see that it's uh, also picking up in the world through the cleanup day organization, I would say. And, and which kind of organizations set up cleanups in Belgium, for instance? So for what we see in Belgium, the... Um, 
the ones that report, because that's also something important to, to, to notice, you can do a digital cleanup day without having to report the information about what you've been cleaning. So we don't know in this case. So I think that quite some, quite a few uh, smaller organizations are also implementing a, a, a digital cleanup day. But the ones that are reporting on it through the, the structure that we've put in place are mainly large organizations. Sometimes it can be medium ones, um, but it's all types of organizations. They can be uh, public services or administration. They can be universities. They can be hospitals. Um, we've got farmers. Uh, we've got yeah, really all types of organizations. But what we see from our perspective is mainly large ones. That's uh, that's more noticeable. And I think it is linked to the fact that when you have a big organization starting to implement a sustainable IT strategy, they see the digital cleanup day as a good tool actually to uh, communicate with their uh, employees, uh, also with uh, their, sometimes their external stakeholders can be with their clients, but not so much through the digital cleanup day. So yeah, they, they've got more resources to communicate around it and therefore also to gather the information back and to report on it. And one of the things that large organizations tend to do sometimes is for example, to use the digital cleanup day as kind of a team building or team challenge or something like that. They challenge each other. Uh, so each team will try to do the, 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 the best cleaning they can and they, they, can, uh, they can then kind of order themselves among the, the, the other teams in the company. And that seems to create a very positive uh, awareness and movement. But again, it's much easier to do in a, in a large organization to create that kind of gamification than in a smaller one. So mostly large organizations, but uh, with a wide uh, variety of sectors. <laughs> okay, and being used and being used as a competition uh, team building tool. That's that's a funny one. And. Uh, um, Actually, what kind of actions they can take? I, I believe there are three types of um, actions that you can do uh, when you do a digital cleanup uh, events. So one of the things that um, immediately companies tackle is the way that they operate on emails. Um, it's one of the things that everyone notices. It's the closest to your, it's, it's like a wallet. It sits right there. As soon as you open your computer, you always go and check in your emails. And I'm pretty sure every one of us has sighed at the site that we have more than 7,000 emails in our, our inbox sitting there. Uh, not many of us are very savvy in organizing our life in a way that, uh, uh, that our inboxes are empty. So I think that's, that's the first uh, and I and that's what experience shows it's the first thing that companies tackle and very often what we've seen is that they not just clean up their inboxes but uh, they set in policies actually that you gotta clean it up they set up a time that you know every Friday uh, what we do is we clean our inboxes we don't just keep stuff sitting there and they really try and maybe find alternatives also to internal communications not using emails as much but rather moving to a channel that is more live and and creating teams there which is a positive thing. But I'd like to hear from Oliver, what's your experience in that? So yeah, the, the originally started uh, only about cleaning data. Um, the first uh, Cyber World Cleanup Day in France, at least, to which I took part, was was uh, related only to data. And one of the things that was very quickly highlighted, uh, even during the, 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 the the cleanup day was the fact that actually the biggest problem is not so much about data first, but uh, it's about equipment. That's, I think, why it evolved uh, towards what it is now, which is about three things. We've got the cleaning up of data itself. And then there's two things related to equipment. The one is, uh, is about giving a second life to digital equipment. And the second one is about recycling uh, unused uh, equipment when it's not possible to reuse it at all. I think that's one of the key elements to, to, to mention. The, the digital cleanup day is a tool, as mentioned already, to raise awareness about the problem. But the biggest problem that we have is about the manufacturing of end-user equipment. That has the largest footprint of everything. Once you know that, you start by, of course, trying to buy less. Uh, and then if you need to buy something, you will try to buy reconditioned equipment, uh, refurbished, or uh, you will try to give a second life to your, or third life even, to your own equipment. And then on at the latest, uh, the last resort, uh, try to, to, to get them recycling, uh, recycled properly and responsibly. So these are the three pillars that we have this year in the digital cleanup day. It's about cleaning data, 
offering a second life to digital equipment and recycling what is not uh, possible to, to, to repair anymore. Big kudo to the digital cleanup day, the NGO, etc. Because if you look at digital sustainability compared to other sustainability areas like, I don't know, waste management, regenerative agriculture, for instance, it's still in its infancy phase. We, we don't have that many studies. Uh, we don't have that much uh, news coverage, uh, as Ingrid said uh, at the beginning. And it is true that sometimes we lack data. And it is also true that a few years ago, the focus was a lot on data and a lot on email. And that now the shifted as the, the focus, sorry, has shifted a bit toward equipment because the more we study the overall environmental footprint of our digital world, the more we realize that equipments and especially end-user equipments are the biggest part of the problem, which is not saying that data growth is something sustainable on its own end, but we might come back to this point later. My question to both of you will be, how did you manage to adjust? I think it's very agile the way you, you manage to say, okay, one year we're going to focus on this, and then, oh, oops, we realize that actually there are other areas of focus how did you manage yeah, to, to, to make the, in three years' time, the digital cleanup deck covering a more consistent and wider uh, scope of uh, the environmental footprint of our digital world? I think we've got to adapt very quickly to any kind of change. Now it's a changing world. Um, but this one was very easy, at least for us, because um, we knew from the start when we started in, uh, with, with the, 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 first, uh, the first digital cleanup day, which was only on data, as I said, um, we knew from the start that it was not the biggest uh, item, I would say, to, to, to manage. But we thought it was a nice way to start something that we, which was easy to communicate, that did not need a lot of organization because you only gather some data about what has been cleaned up, but you don't need to organize something about uh, gathering equipment, uh, which is a logistic nightmare, of course. So that was easy to launch. And at the same time, we knew that we would have a pushback from the, the, the ecosystem already saying that we would not be focusing on the right things. So it was really easy to adapt from there. The, biggest challenge was how to do it from a logistics point of view, I would say. Um, otherwise, we would have started probably by equipment. Yes, um, I agree. I mean, um, when we look at any any kind of human systems, let's just say, where production and, and consumption is involved, we always run into this issue that uh, it's complex, it's difficult to solve, and therefore you can't just sit back and wait for it to, to solve itself. To, to find its uh, natural course. And of course, with, with more knowledge, we uh, become more aware. So we do encourage people to look into different aspects, the physical side of it, the virtual side of it. But one of the things that we still haven't reached is, is actually what you already sort of briefly mentioned is the, is the fact that uh, our data also grows exponentially each year, each day, actually. So, so that's one of those uh, core issues that we are still working on, on how to bring this uh, uh, awareness out there, because... When we see this technological push to, to move over, to, to change our vapor-based uh, economies into, into virtual economies or, or, or this kind of like technologization, then we also see the exponential growth of data, which becomes, it's a slowly creeping up on us. Uh, people are starting to become aware of this. And, and I guess next year we will be uh, talking about a different aspect of, of the digital waste or our digital world uh, again, because there is a big variety of different topics that are very strongly connected. On the data side in grid, you might be actually super right. But I had this very interesting discussion with Florence because she's really focused on data. And I came more from the hardware part of, okay, data is important, but really, you know, mining, et cetera, et cetera, uh, the manufacturing, it creates a lot of environmental impact, et cetera. And she told me that some studies now are raising the alarm that we might face in 2025, which is tomorrow um, a potential cloud saturation, the so-called data storage crunch. And regarding this risk, you've got two kind of answers. Uh, so an unsustainable data growth because of more video, more photo, that's not really email here, but quite a lot of IoT um, logs as well, creating 
too much tension on our capacity to store data. And you've got kind of two answers. Uh, you've got people believing and working very hard on new solutions like a storage solution based on DNA or advanced polymer chemistry and helping that it will solve the problem. And you've got a second approach, which is maybe we should challenge our relationship to data and embrace a bit more sobriety or even just maybe rationality. And Ingrid, how do you believe the digital cleanup day next year and in 2025 will position itself regarding this topic of data growth that I know is very keen to your heart? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we are moving towards getting into the core issue, the fact that we uh, produce a lot of single-use data. We actually produce a lot of zero-use data. Uh, we just collect data without any uh, scrutiny to its content. We never use it again. It's all done in good faith, but it's all done also by delaying the, the real decisions of, of how do we actually consume. We're a planet of consumers. This, this is what shows from, from everywhere. And, uh, and I think this is one of the major um, issues to tackle is, is how do we actually, as a movement, as uh, someone who has the knowledge, as someone who studies it, how do we actually push towards people to sit down and say, hmm, We've screwed it up. We need uh, actual solutions. We need to change it. And sobriety is not a concept that people come easily into. They they don't like it. They feel like it's it's something that is taken away from them. So it's it's a tricky topic to introduce and to continue rolling with it. And that's why maybe uh, what these kinds of large movements, environmental movements often cannot afford is to create this sense that it's a radical thing to do. It's a wise thing to do, but at the same time, it can feel like, oh my God, but this would mean a total collapse of our economy. As a social scientist background, I say that, well, that's not going to happen. Uh, rather, it's more likely that if we continue delaying these deep value-based decisions, that's when we'll actually arrive to the collapse because it's an finite planet. It's a closed system. And and we just cannot expect any infinite um, uh, solutions to be out there. Uh, so when you are mentioning this DNA-based or polymer-based recording, it's a technological solution. But if it's not applied correctly, if it's not applied with the scrutiny to why we need it, uh, and do we actually need it, then it just becomes another tool that sort of like puts on more fire to the burning planet. And I I really hate to use these kinds of terms because then people think, oh, ah, another loony bin uh, from uh, an environmental organization. But that's when we look at the history of technology and how people have used it and and how it's created itself and with every technological advancement, a myriad of, of new problems is created that for some weird reason, humans do not want to uh, talk about. They just want to put another technology on top of it and, and hope it solves the, solves the issue. So I guess this, this is the core challenge of, of these digital cleanup days or, or these awareness programs or, or even media attention uh, that they need, we need to arrive to this point and, and start asking the real questions. And that's, that's a very interesting point because from the very beginning of the interview, you really, both of you, you really made it super clear that the Digital Cleanup Day is about awareness. And, uh, and Ingrid, you just mentioned awareness to even the broader issue of the limit that uh, our closed system clo called the planet Earth uh, is facing. I mean, that we actually we are facing within the system. And... I'd like to zoom in a little on this awareness topic um, with a first question to, to, to both of you, which is, okay, um, if, I, if, if I want to leverage the tools uh, provided by the Digital Cleanup Day, and you know, I'm a worker, I'm an employee in whatever kind of company, maybe a tech company, most of my audience are a tech worker, but that, that could be any kind of company. Um, what are the pushback that I could face from my colleagues or from my uh, my management and how should I deal with it? Because it's all about raising awareness. So how do you equip uh, people wanting to raise awareness uh, in regards of these pushbacks? 
so what, what we do, we provide quite a few guides, um, communication sets, etc., that people can use for for organizing digital cleanup day so that they are already equipped with the basic information. Also, we try to explain how it works and what is important in doing uh, data cleanup so that um, it does not become something negative. If you start asking people to spend hours um, opening and closing each email to see if they can delete them or not, etc. Uh, first of all, it's really boring and it's annoying everyone so people are, are pushing back. Secondly, you're having a larger impact, uh, environmental impact by doing it that way than if you were not cleaning the data. So it's about explaining that if you want to clean up data, the best way is to do it in bulk. Uh, for example, erase all your emails from uh, that are older than uh, since 2021 or 2020 or something like that. If you do it in bulk, uh, that's much better. If you delete uh, large applications in bulk also, these kind of things. So that's one of the key elements uh, on which we are communicating is why and how to uh, organize your cleanup and also to make it, as I was explaining first uh, a few minutes ago about gamification, that it becomes something fun because otherwise you're just punishing people into uh, having to clean things because they've not been good during the year or something like that. Um, organizations are using that uh, fairly, fairly adequately. I think that they realize that sustainability must become something positive in the way that we are organizing it in the way that we are communicating around it um, it used to be very much kind of a punishment or negative message uh, and they are now more and more trying to turn that into something positive in which people want to take part almost by reflex because they say yeah it's good common sense so we should do it of course and in grid is gamification and making more appealing something more positive uh... Yeah, an angle of attack that you've got as well. Gamification, yes, is the first first step. It's not a necessity. A lot of the times it's enough just to encourage people that really, honestly, if you haven't accessed your email from three years ago and you haven't once looked at it, you haven't felt the need to do it, then you really don't need it. You can safely delete it. People are slightly hesitant for a second, like, oh, maybe there's an important email there that I will need later on but generally even in organizations this this move of of no okay i'll just delete it in bulk is empowering so that's also part of this gamification you give people permission to get rid of their junk and um I really love this. Um, personally, I really love this movement of Marie Kondo that uh, if you don't love it, if a thing doesn't bring you joy, then you don't need it. You either pass it on to someone else or you you uh, simply just uh, delete it. And I think this is a good approach to have uh, also when we work on our um, machines or on our, our, uh, on our uh, devices as well. And uh, one of the things that you did mention earlier is that a huge part of our data is is just recreational data, like videos and photographs. And all of us are guilty of snapping too many photos of the same event or, or of the same situation. And that's actually a quick thing to do. And when people realize that they're running out of data on their smartphones or companies realize that we're putting way too much money into paying to store this data that, that people have created, that they keep around just in case, then maybe it is much better if we do this awareness thing and then we have um, either a person or a couple of people trying to look at the, how processes run in our company in order to avoid coming back to the same situation the year after by changing the way that they communicate, for instance, or also by looking at, okay, what is the actual crucial data that we need to collect and store? Maybe, you know, legal purposes require certain things to be stored. And what are the thing, things that we can uh, give up on, that we don't need to do this in bulk? And that sort of also shows that the company or the organization is doing progress in it. And that means that people don't feel that it's only up to me to make sure that my company is, you know, digitally sustainable. And I think this is the driving force behind uh, actually getting digital cleanup day to, to, uh, to start an internal change. And I think this is, and I believe, Oliver, you uh, agree uh, from your uh, long experience that, that that's the way that people stay committed to it as well. 
Yeah, sure. Uh, if if you look at a few years ago, not so long ago actually, there, there were limits to the size of mailboxes in companies um, simply because the, the the cost of storage was so high. But it was seen as kind of punitive. You you if you were higher up in the organization, you had a, the right to have a larger mailbox, and if you were at the bottom, you had to, to clean very regularly. So it was really kind of negative approach, I would say. Um, and then it became so cheap to steal more uh, to to store more data that. Everyone got huge, uh, huge email uh, box suddenly. So now it has become kind of the norm to have something where everyone can store as much as you want. It's of course uh, much better if people are encouraged to 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 reduce the size of their mailbox and if there are incentives to do so. Now what we don't what we cannot forget is the size of videos much more than mailboxes. Uh, you mentioned it in the, the, the introduction. The biggest impact in terms of data comes from uh, from video and then pictures and then only stuff like uh, uh, emails, etc. And we see already that videos are already today 80% of the internet bandwidth is taken by different types of videos. There's like 60% which are video on demand of all sorts, so Netflix, pornography, etc. There's 20% which are like uh, Zoom calls, security cameras, uh, television streaming. Uh, so not not the, the video on demand, but streaming. So that's 20%. And then only the rest is about the, the, the other types of data. But the video is increasing much faster than all the rest. Um, and one positive thing, for example, is that if you look at very large uh, size of the world, if you look at something much larger than just us, Europe as uh, I've read that recently, I need to see the, the, the legal paper, but apparently Europe will uh, not authorize 8K videos, 8K televisions to be sold in Europe. So that will make a difference because then we there's no reason to download an 8K video. And an 8K video takes much, much more data than a 4K, which takes much more data than a HD. And most of the time, we don't even need HD. If you're looking at a video on a, I don't know, on a smartphone, tablet, or even a laptop, the fact that you're taking a, a 4K does not make sense. The eye does not see it. So the question is, how can we reduce these very, very large amounts of data? And that comes back to corporations. but once you have large organizations uh, with many, many employees that are aware of the impact of data, there can be a pushback on the providers. And then it's only when there's a, there's a pushback from the clients that uh, the providers will start reducing their own impact and that we may have a, a, a positive, uh, positive aspect in terms of positive impact on all the providers whether uh, video on demand, uh, all the, the types of games, etc., that are taking a lot of bandwidth and creating an awful lot of data. That's for sure an important step. Um, sending data, so the transmission itself, consumes roughly the equivalent of one to two years of storage. So the first thing that you need to do is not so much to clean up the data, it's to avoid creating data and avoid sending that data to, to to the cloud, for example. If you can avoid creating the data in the first place, that's much better than creating, transmitting it, and then deleting it later. Um, so it starts by creating less data. And then, of course, if you already created it, it's much better to, to, to reduce and delete what you can, but in bulk, as already mentioned. I, I, was, uh, I was laughing because the 80% uh, bandwidth of the internet being taken by video is kind of the, one of the top cards in the digital collage workshop. You know, when, when I facilitate this workshop, it's the moment where people got this haha moment, the same with uh, the low mm -hmm. recycling rate, etc., etc. But uh, it's like, what? 80% just video? And because video is mostly uh, uh, associated with uh, leisure activities, uh, it's even more powerful. But that, that's absolutely true that video is, is a big, big issue and that creating them in the first place is a, yeah, is a massive issue. Yeah, but try saying that to a teenager now. <laughs> well, actually, a teenager who, who would have done the digital collage workshop or any kind of similar workshops uh, raising awareness... Um, I believe we'll have actually. I've already. Uh, I've already noticed. Uh, we'll have a very different approach to, uh, uh, yeah, his or her use of uh, its uh, his digital um, devices than before. I mean, it's just the information is simply not there. Hence, the importance of raising awareness and what the two of you are doing uh, with the digital cleanup day. Obviously, because honestly, once a teenager understand the massive impact of, uh, yeah. 
I would say, the use phase and the manufacturing phase and the e-waste phase of uh, our digital equipments, that most often there are quite a lot of things uh, who change. But yes, that, that, that's, uh, that's uh, still an uphill battle, but um, it's doable. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't, what, I, what I meant is that teenagers, yeah, they, in my experience as well, they are usually the most receptive, they're the quickest okay, to say, okay. say this, is, this is wrong and this should change. But a lot of the times also their, their life is dictated by it. Their social uh, relationships are, are online, uh, majority of them. So again, we can't just leave it to teenagers saying change yourself and the, and the world will change. We need to help them in this by creating a a uh, safer, um, safer and uh, more just internet space for them to operate in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, you know, absolutely. I agree with you that we cannot rely only on them to change, and we need a change in the infrastructure as well. Hence, the I really love what Olivier. I, I wasn't aware, Olivier, about this potential ban of 8K, which seems perfectly consistent because that doesn't make any difference between 4K and 8K uh, for any human eye, except when you've got like super large screens that will not fit uh, in anyone's room except like in big commercial center or that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, if you can share with us the paper, that, that will be awesome. Yeah, I, I would love to find the the original uh, the original law or project or something. Uh, I just read in the newspaper a couple of days ago that it was a, it was being projected to be to be uh, avoided. Or, but anyway, yeah, we'll we'll see what comes out of it. There's so, always so much of a pushback from the the providers. Uh, the, all the lobbying that can be made around the manufacturing uh, is amazing. So we'll see if it goes through or not. Yeah. Well. Having, I mean, you know that, and I know that because we've both worked in the payment uh, service industry, and you know that the payment service industry, when it comes to equipment, is all based about renting and not selling anything. And um, I can tell that it has been a very, and it is still a very profitable industry. So it's really a question of being aware that you can change your business model and that offering something different than just selling and then I don't care and uh, I hope that the machine will broke as soon as possible uh, so that I can sell another one is just one way, one business model that is obviously thriving around the world at the moment but having worked for banks like very big banks non non-profit at all um, uh, yeah other business models are very profitable as well and much more aligned with the planet but anyway sorry I'm, I'm rambling again um, be, being mindful of time if you don't mind I have a question for you maybe more for Olivier because you told me that the Institute for Sustainable IT works primarily with, with large companies rather than, you know, startup and SME. Albeit they can definitely benefit uh, from all the uh, open source materials you provide. Uh, but I, yeah, I have kind of a challenging question on greenwashing because I've been noticing with many other people involved in the digital sustainability field, inconsistency from... And you mentioned several times uh, providers, big providers. So let, let, let's, for instance, take some telco companies. For instance, very recently, I've noticed a network operator that I will not name here, which on one hand will advise their clients on using Wi-Fi instead of 4G. And that's a very interesting communication because that's not something that was, that was said just two years before. And the very same week, the very same network operator will send a promotional email to replace its clients' smartphones with the latest shiny one. So do you believe it is intentional or not? And how you deal with this in the institute between you know, people truly willing to green the internet and the digital sector, but also still pushing very unsustainable commercial practices? It's a it's a very good question. It's much broader than just telcos. If I it, I'll come back to telcos in a second, but um, 
it's a general question. How do you try to avoid as much possible, uh, as much greenwashing as possible? Um, we are very lucky in one sense is that most of our members are users of IT to deliver their core business. They are not IT providers as such. Uh, I mentioned hospitals, administrations, uh, banks, etc. They are they are big users of IT, of course, but so it's not their core focus, and therefore they don't communicate so much around what they are doing to reduce their footprint. So that's one good way that we have already to avoid too much greenwashing. It's not something which is key in their communication when they are doing sustainable IT. Now, if we move to providers and especially to telco, uh, of course, there it can be a, a struggle for them internally as well in how they do it. So I think that it's a bit the same as in every organization uh, and even at society at large. There's there's challenges when you're when you're trying to reduce the footprint, your own footprint or the one of your clients, etc. It's not yet structured. So some departments, some people are really convinced and they will start using the communication to encourage uh, some some reduction of the footprint. But then some part of the, the business is still running on, I would say, an old type of business model. As you, as you just mentioned, it is about selling more equipment. It is about selling potentially more data, etc. Um, so as long as the business model of the, the, the company has not changed, there will still be communication that goes just against what has been said before, and that's fairly logical. But I think it's an evolution. The fact that if you look at uh, equipment, for example, again, for telcos, there's more and more communication about uh, buy a refurbished phone or bring back your phone and you will get a reduction on the next one, etc. Of course, bringing back does not solve all the issue. You're not sure that it will be refurbished and reused. But the fact that it has become mainstream now to talk about second-hand or third-hand uh, smartphones and that you can get a warranty on that for one year or two years makes a hell of a difference. More and more people are, are considering buying re uh, refurbished uh, equipment, which was completely no-go a few years ago, or, or, or you only did it because you could not afford a new one. Now, even companies are buying uh, refurbished equipment because there's an offering which starts to exist where you can buy very large uh, amounts, like 100 or 200 laptops that are refurbished because companies need to, to have that large numbers of uh, uh, exactly the same uh, equipment, otherwise it's not manageable. So there's a shift which is taking place. And I think that um, part of it will will bring companies like the telcos to, in a fairly short period of time, I believe that they will go away from that idea of take a new, a new data, uh, data um, package and you can buy a, a smartphone for one euro or something like that. And I would say there's something else next to the goodwill and the evolution of the, the, the business. I think there's also regulations. And I would not be surprised if in a couple of years from now, it will be banned to uh, sell for one euro or for nine euro or whatever, a smartphone with uh, your your data, uh, how do you call that, uh, abonnement in Bundle French. subscription. Um, yeah, bundle subscription. Yeah, your subscription. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, I, I think that will... That will disappear at some stage because you're pushing for over-consuming equipment, uh, which goes completely against all the, the, the objectives of uh, sustainability, at least in IT. Yeah, I will not be surprised at all if in less than two or three years' time, but obviously, honestly, I think it's in less than two years' time, the European Union uh, will impose a way higher warranty period, something like five years for a smartphone or something like that. But anyway, regulation is key, as you said. And in Creed, is the shift that Olivier described is something you've noticed also? Is it something more European-based or something that you've noticed worldwide? Well, we can never just um, expand our European experience to the other world. We're still talking about, if, if we look at how how do people on the African continent consume internet and uh, and digital services and also the devices, it's completely different from, from how we do it. We definitely live here in some sort of magical land of abundance where, where nothing really matters. And a lot of these costs, we just uh, transfer them to the global south. And this is is something that the awareness has been uh, rising and and this is definitely on the institutional level and therefore you see these uh, bans and uh, and measures put in place in the European Union that would limit our uh, limitless uh, consumption wish 
And um, yeah, but it is, it is very difficult. But in terms of greenwashing, the fact that uh, it's been brought out that uh, that uh, companies, uh, people, entities are being called out upon it is, I think, the major driving force in actually changing it, that you don't just do cosmetic changes, you don't just participate in the digital cleanup day, but then you actually need to look at your business model, how you operate. And as an entrepreneur of sorts, I understand the difficulty, um, but I would like to encourage our, our enterprises to, and by reminding them that business is forever changing and it is difficult to change your business model, especially when it's well established, but it is beneficial to you personally and, and as a, an organization as well. And what I've seen throughout my studies in social entrepreneurship is that this, this kind of awareness is, is on the rise uh, from the organization side uh, that um, some of them are actually committing to change. We need to change the way that we operate. Yeah, we're going against the market, but that's the only way to survive. And I think uh, this is this is a this is a good uh, beginning of the movement, and and I do hope that uh, it picks up quicker. Uh, that companies are not afraid to change themselves, maybe completely change, because I think the worst is to just say no. I want to continue as always because this is this is the way that I know business. Then I'm pretty sure that that. Um, you're not a sustainable, business-wise, you're not a sustainable entity. Hmm. Absolutely. We've already noticed it with the COVID-19 crisis where suddenly, you know, you're a startup, you're a scale-up, you want to buy 100 computers for your employees and they're not there. That's it, period. Or you want to run some kind of taxi business, taxi-related business, and, and you cannot have a car for, uh, for four or six months. So um, I, I truly agree with you that the sustainable business of the future will be business truly uh, embracing sustainability, environmental and, and social uh, sustainable approaches. Okay, thanks a lot, both of you. I've got one final question, which is a standard one in this podcast, and that will be, what are your recommendations to learn more about these topics? What are the books, the podcasts, the conferences, the articles, the, the, the thought leaders that you'd like to mention to help people raising awareness around them or uh, deep diving into these topics? What I would say is if you're based in Belgium or in France or in Switzerland, of course, uh, feel free to, to, to contact the, the Institute for Sustainable IT and uh, to, to get in the community and get information from there. Otherwise, uh, if you want to have a good book in English about how to manage differently your, your IT in a company, there's a, a book by Niklas Schönberg, and the, the name of the book is Sustainable IT Playbook for Technology Leaders. Sustainable IT Playbook for Technology Leaders by Niklas Schönberg. And that's uh, kind of a Bible that I can recommend to anyone uh, managing an IT organization. And from my side, or maybe uh, from a general perspective of, of what, how large is the problem, maybe I could suggest uh, Jerry McGovern's uh, Worldwide Waste, which is quite known already um, among people who are interested in it. But it's a good read for even people who don't really understand uh, what, what internet is and how how does it work and what, what's data and everything doing with that. And then, of course, if you really want to suggest it to your family and friends, then Carbon Footprint of uh, Everything by uh, Mike Berners-Lee is a, is a great place to get started on understanding uh, what are the implications of everything that we have come, uh, come used to. So I guess these would be the two, two first things that pop into my mind to suggest. Yeah, thanks a lot, both of you. Yeah, I think Gary McGovern has uh, the clear lead when it comes to a book being mentioned in the show. But I really thank you for mentioning Mike Berners-Lee uh, books as well, because I think it has not been that often mentioned. And that's a great book, as you say, to, to start having a full uh, understanding, the, a bird eye view on carbon footprint. So thanks a lot. And um, 
I think we had a very good and once again pretty long episode, but that was great to have both of you uh, in the show. So thanks a lot for joining. Uh, I wish that this uh, digital cleanup day uh, next week will be highly successful for the planet and also for thanking you for all the efforts you put in organizing it, uh, whether it's in Belgium or uh, in the entire world. So thanks a lot to both of you for joining the show. Thank you very much for having us. Thank you. And one final word about Green I.O. Happy birthday! Last year on March the 3rd, the very first episode of Green I.O. was released with Fashadi Rani talking on website sustainability. And one year later, here we are with this 14th episode, almost 5,000 downloads in total with listeners across more than 30 countries and 19 guests who made us the honor to join the Green Eye podcast with gender parody have been enriched. A big thanks to all of you listening and supporting the show. 2023 will be a super exciting year with great episodes to come with a wide range of topics being covered like carbon accounting for IT departments, e-waste, sustainable digital marketing, and also our usual focus on sustainable design, cloud sustainability, and green software. A third episode per month, this one with a new format, will be announced soon, so stay tuned. Hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform and please follow the Green IO LinkedIn page, which is the only social network we are truly active on. And one last thing. This podcast has been built for you, responsible technologist, and we would love to hear what you wish to listen to in 2023. So please fill our Green IO listeners questionnaire you will find the link in this episode description or on our LinkedIn page. So thanks a lot to all of our listeners all over the world and talk to you in two weeks. Bye.